0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Tribeca Film Festival. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Apple Store in Soho. We're very excited for our special guest tonight. Please welcome our special guest moderator, John Cameron Mitchell, and Tilda Swinton. Thank you. Welcome, Tilda that's the first time you saw that trailer.
1: Yeah, I was seeing it sideways. It looked good from the side.
0: It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Beautifully shot film. Uh, who's seen the film here? Any? A couple of Ooh, people? Two people. OK, good. My DVD froze before the last half hour was up. We not tell John what, what happens up. at the end. Yeah, don't we tell me what happened. But it's got one of the best beginnings of a film I've seen in a long time. You were really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard that you actually don't drink. Is that true or is that a lie?
1: Well, I I try. Um,
0: <laughs> I, I read that somewhere. There was a, 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 a tremor of your face when really I said work. that. It doesn't I,
1: really work. It doesn't work. I'm, I either uh, go to sleep or throw up. But when I came to do all the drunk stuff, I was a little hesitant, until I realized that I've actually been pretending to be drunk for most of my adult life because I'm the one with all my drunk friends, who's not really drunk, but pretending to be drunk and having just as good, or possibly better, (laughs) time as everybody else. And driving them home. And driving them home, (laughs) and and letting the police in and turning the music down. (laughs) I'm the designated driver.
0: Oh my God. uh, I wanted to show the opening... Seen in this because it, it, I keep coming back to Cassavetes as I was watching it, in the way that it was shot, and I don't think I've seen such a good drunkard uh, since Jenna Rollins in Opening Night. And uh, the film has this uh, connection with with Gloria.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: a bit does it?
1: It. The truth is that there's a. S- there's a kind of misinformation rumor myth about it being a remake of Gloria. Before we made it, there was a whole sort of idea that it was a remake of Gloria. It was never a remake of Gloria, as anybody who's seen the film can see. I think it was maybe the combination of the fact that Eric Zonka and I are both big Cassavetes fans, and uh, the film involves um, uh, a big old drunk woman and um, a... (laughs) Boy with curly hair from Mexico. Uh, <laughs> there was sort of an obvious thing, but and a gun and a gun and a gun and a, and a single name title. <laughs>
0: no, it yeah. isn't.
1: It isn't. I mean, <laughs> go and see it and see what you what you think. But I think Casavetes' project is really different. He's so yeah. much more interested in um, in in. Articulation, communication between people. And, and the truth is that Zonka is very much more interested, in my view, in, in isolation. And he, he yeah. has this kind of zoological way of looking at one person and uh, like, a, like a dung beetle, you know, and, and just he's the sort of David Attenborough. I think, of, of, of feature filmmaking at the moment. And he'll just look at a person and follow them whatever they do, however amoral they may be, however many times they point a gun at the head of a small child. They, he just watches and, and I think that's, that's Cassavetes is much more about a kind of, you know, looking at theatre actually, in a way.
0: Yeah, and he was, all, he was much le- less tightly plotted. I mean, this is very tightly plotted in terms of What happens, as you were saying earlier, you don't know. You you think you know what kind of film it is, Mm. and then it takes a turn, becomes another. Then you're like, okay, I think I know what this is, and then it changes again. And there's a beautiful scene. uh, I won't give it away, but uh, with with uh, with the child in in, in you in Mexico, it's beautiful, beautifully lit, beautifully. Complicated and uncomfortable scene with the child. It's it's, uh, of what I've seen of the film is the heart of it, (laughs) because I did. I haven't seen the last half hour. There was
1: another half of the film to go, Mm. and it ends up in a beautiful wedding. No, No. (laughs) No. that's the forty-year-old Virgin. The the thing about the (laughs) twists and turns. is is very interesting we there was a point at which i remember eric and i realizing that really what our project was was not so much to make a film about an alcoholic but to make an alcoholic film and i it, it, it pretty much makes alcoholics of anyone who <laughs> sits through it you're going kind to of wake up with a with a hangover in the morning um, the, the way in which that kind of intoxication Means that you're you think you know the plot, and you go right, okay. I know this. I can drive this car, and then suddenly you're in a hospital, and you're in a, something else, or you know that ho- the way in which the trying to grasp the narrative trope ch- keeps, keeps keeps changing, slipping
0: away from you. Yeah. How did you become involved?
1: Uh, Eric, I have a very interesting way of having met Eric Zonka. I met him years ago about five years ago, I think, or maybe longer, in Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival, we were both involved in vaguely official ways in the closing night festi- uh, uh, celebrations. So he was on a short film jury, and I was giving a prize. And we both had, therefore, absolute reason to be at the closing night dinner, and we were both shut out for some reason. We weren't e- ejected, we just never got in. And we became... We'd never met before, and we became really uh, quite involved in this whole drama of trying to get in and, and uh, involved a fire extinguisher at one point, trying to get through a window. I can't remember, but it was ridiculous. I, of course, was not drunk. He definitely was. And I remember, year, uh, sort of several months later, hearing from a mutual friend. Eric Zonker is developing a film for you. And I thought, well, that is insane because the guy doesn't know me and he was drunk. And then I heard that the film was about a drunk woman in Mexico. And then I didn't hear anything more about it. And as far as I know, he was trying to get it made in America with American actresses. And, and then, anyway, eventually he came to me with a, with a script fully formed as much as it ever was and uh, asked me change? to do it
0: much from what you read? Well,
1: it, ch- it changed from what you see, because we actually ended up shooting a four-hour film, uh, which eventually got cut into two, two hours and a quarter, I think. Um, no, it didn't. I mean, it was pretty much all there, but it could it could have gone on for a great deal longer.
0: Is it true that he was first inspired by the film by seeing a Helmut Newton photo?
1: I don't know that, actually, but it sounds possible. <laughs>
0: I saw in the press notes, he said he saw a uh, a Helmut Newton photo of a, a red-haired woman drunk mm-hmm. in a BMW in L.A. Well, there you have it. Except for the BMW. Right. Because she has some she kind of... She does
1: have a BMW. She does? Yeah.
0: A very old one, though.
1: A very, very old beaten up one, yeah.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Mm. It's... Uh, you know, I haven't, you know, we haven't seen Eric Zonka in a while mm-hmm. on these shores. And I know he made Dream Life of Angels, which was actually his debut, which yeah. is a beautiful film. And then a film, which I don't know if it came here, Le Petit Voleur. No, it
1: was, it was only shown on, um, on television. French television. Yeah, It right. was made for, for Canal Plus. It's a really interesting film, The Little Thief, Le Petit Voleur. Which, in fact, it's always great when a filmmaker makes a third film because then you can begin to see a link. You know, it's that you can begin to see what, what that voice is. And um, that film, Le Pouty Voleur, has more in common with Julia in a way. It has that zoological dung beetle, David yeah. Attenborough thing. It has one character, really, this young baker who's completely disillusioned and decides that he's going to go to Marseille and become a thief so he just decides to go and enter the underworld and you know you have to keep breathing through this really very reckless, very tough I mean he's pretty hardcore Eric as you can see, he doesn't pull his punches but I I love his cinema because I think he's so, there's something so compassionate about the way he just goes you know what keep throwing it at me, but I'm going to try so hard to kind of stick with you. And you kind of do eventually somehow.
0: I remember the dream life of angels being very affecting. If you remember, it was uh, a woman who took over someone's apartment, uh, like a sublet, and the woman was in a coma. And she finds out more and more about her life from, I guess she finds her things that she's yeah, written
1: Yeah, it's the daughter. They the, the the mother and the daughter have given up the apartment because the daughter had a big accident and is now in hospital. Yeah. So they sublet it to these two girls and one of the girls becomes completely fascinated by all the things in the room of the girl and go, starts to go to the hospital and yeah. visit this comatose young beautiful. girl. It's be- beautiful. Gorgeous.
0: Why haven't he why do, why hasn't we seen him in a while? I mean, what is he has he been working on a lot of projects that had problems? He's been working
1: on this. Mhm. Somebody told me he was here a couple of weeks ago and had an answer for that question. What is his answer for the question about why? He, what's he been doing, Aaron?
0: Financing. Financing. Okay, that I don't old know what chestnut.
1: Yeah, well, he's been he's been working on this script for five years. It's, yeah. um, and he's been um, yeah. And he got it. to
0: use a lot of his. Regular collaborators on this He it was it was, a,
1: it was a tough one for him, this. He was out of France for the first time ever. He was in Mexico for the first time ever. When we started shooting the film, he did hardly spoke a word of English. Oh, really? He had a DP, the great Yorick Lusso, who, for those who know the work of Olivier Assayas, you might know his work, an extraordinary uh, cinematographer who's French. Um, he had uh, a French designer, um, and that was kind of it. And, and editor, a, his he editor back in back, back in, in, Paris, in France. Yeah. yeah. But when we were shooting, he was really uh, he was really in kind of alien mode. And was and
0: he I, ter- was he scared of the of the? He was
1: frustrated because funding was cut about a month before we started shooting. It was cut by about a third, and it did not make for a relaxed shoot. It was a very sort of. It was incredibly frustrating because we had to shoot so fast. We just had to keep going. And there was so much that we wanted to redo. We couldn't do it. We had to keep going. We had to shoot, like, I can't remember, 17 hours a day.
0: No reshoots.
1: No, nothing. On we go. On we go. You know. And not even time to sit and cut, you know, cut the script. So it was a really, there's a frustration in the film, and that's your frustration. Eventually, of course, we can sit back and we can say, Wow, that was kind of great. And I don't like the idea that the financiers will ever hear us say that because I hate the idea of financiers saying that it's good for filmmakers to be kept keen. Panicked. It's rubbish. Yeah, it's so I agree. not a good thing. But we could have done with a day off occasionally, you know. But it was, we it's did. It's like it.
0: directors who say, I don't want, if, act, if the characters don't like each other, the actors shouldn't like each other. That's the other one I hate.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. What's that about?
0: You've, I mean, you know how some directors, you know, they're the kind that might slap you and turn on the camera. They think I it's met
1: someone, uh, the film critic Derek Malcolm, the other day, who told me with great authority that, in his opinion, if you go on a film shoot and everyone's having a good time, the film's going to be shit. And if you go on a film shoot and there's great tension, it's going to be a masterpiece. That's What do old, you think about I think uh, that's perhaps, bullshit. I think, well, what can you say?
0: And say it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Should we look at another clip? Uh, w- the first one. Should we look at the first one? That's the scene with Nick.
1: What is You, you had a little list How of a little of list. You But, to but we couldn't decipher what the what they meant. Yeah, this is. See, this There's one called, called "Little Bit Drunk." Nick. Well, it could be any scene. I don't know. <laughs> which, which scene is "Little Bit Drunk"? Does anybody know? Should we know? just play it? Yeah. Should we just play it?
0: Play a "Little Bit Drunk." Oh, I feel like I was robbed of the climax. It's an, it's a family friendly. So Apple everyone has story. to guess what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you, you know, I I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about uh, your film festival. Can you tell us about what that is and what the inspiration for it was?
1: Um. Well, I live, as you well know, because your aunt lives, in fact, very big kiss from her through me to you. I saw her on last Friday, uh, who lives in the same small town in the far north of Scotland. Um, There is no cinema other than a multiplex. I mean, there isn't even an Apple store, believe it or not. Uh, There is a multiplex cinema um, half an hour away that shows... Harry Potter, pretty sort of endlessly. And um, there is a high street with all sorts of little shops closing down all the time and being turned into
0: charity shops. Elgin,
1: right? No, it's Nairn. I thought the festival was in Elgin. No, it's Nairn Nairn itself. And there, I was walking down the street one day and I I saw that the old bingo hall was being, um, was for rent. And for some insane reason I decided that what I had to do that afternoon was to rent it and I rented it and I told the man that I rented it from that I wanted to make a cinema in it so to cut a long story short we had this festival last August which was entirely intended as a sort of family affair um, and my friend Mark Cousins who's a film historian and I And my children, who are 11 and extremely cineastic, um, put together a a list of our favorite DVDs, and we got a friend of ours. We're fortunate to have a a friend in Berlin who uh, lent us an amazing digital projector. Um, And we put on this ramshackle little film festival, and it became a kind of international event. And uh, we showed It was like an experiment. We showed everything from... I Know Where I'm Going by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, one of the greatest films ever made, to um, All About Eve, followed by Fassbinder's version of All About Eve, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, to uh, Fellini's Eight and a Half, to Parajanov, etc., etc., etc. You know, singing in the Rain, and um, it was just insane. It was sold out. People came from all over Europe. People came from Australia. Somebody came from Papua New Guinea. And even more amazing, on one evening, Kenneth Anger turned up. Um, I mean, it was bizarre. And um, as a result, we've. We've decided to make these, well, as a result, as a direct result of that, the Scottish government um, asked us to make a Scottish version in Beijing, which we did last month.
0: <laughs> a festival, then? A festival.
1: We went to Beijing, and we, and we, we took over this p- perfectly regular cinema, and we dressed it up as a highland forest.
0: Fairyland.
1: And we pl- played our favorite Scottish films, and everybody sat on beanbags. And what did you show we showed I Know Where I'm Going. We showed the great Bill Douglas trilogy. We showed Sea With the Great Ship. Hmm?
0: Whiskey Galore?
1: We didn't show Whiskey Galore, no. Yes, well, yes. We, we, we couldn't get a Mandarin subtitled <laughs> prints of that, but, but, but we will. I mean, we may very well show Whiskey Galore when we do our next one, which is going to be in August in uh, the north of Scotland. Unfortunately, our bingo hall since then... Has been... Well, somebody bought a house behind it. Um, and said that they didn't want us to do it again because our fire exits in the event of a fire would go out onto their drive. So, But we decided Scott. to make homelessness our friend and we've rented a sc- the screen machine, which is a mobile cinema, and we're going to start on Mull and we're going to show... I know where I'm going there. Then we're going to sh- show a film on the ferry, which should be, of course, Whiskey Galore. Whiskey Galore. And then we're going to camp, and we're going to drag it, we're going to pull it, we're going to show Sullivan's travels, and we're going to pull it back to Nan. So,
0: oh. if
1: anybody wants to come to Scotland in August and pull a cinema,
0: please. That's beautiful. Yeah. My granny was from uh, Barra.
1: Well, there you have it, yeah, ah. where they shot Whiskey Galore.
0: Well, I think they shot it
1: in South U.S. Oh, is it set? No, it's shot in Barra, set in, in South, the South US. U.S. Yeah.
0: And it really happened to Ben Beckula. I don't know what it was.
1: It's a beautiful film about um, a, a, a ship that goes down with a whole caseload of, or a hold full of whiskey,
0: and this... It's, it's stuck on the rocks.
1: And, and there's a law which is, in the, in the islands in Scotland, if, if, if any shipwrecked stuff you can... It's finders' keepers, basically. And it's an island that... It's dry, isn't it? They're not supposed to drink.
0: Because it's during the war. It's during the
1: war. And then the tax officers come up to get because it hasn't been taxed. And they're hiding it everywhere. They're hiding it in hot water bottles. And it's one of those
0: films. It's a classic Ealing comedy. Well, that's, What's the name of the festival?
1: It's the Cinema of Dreams. The first one was the Ballerina Ballroom Cinema of Dreams. And this one, we don't know yet. It's a, there's a... Working title. And you had stuff for kids too. Yeah, 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 always. Um, Well, um, the whole film festival thing is an offshoot of um, a foundation that Mark and I are starting called the Eight and a Half Foundation, um, which is why our film festival is eight and a half days long. Um, We have realized that children of eight and a half nowadays who are only uh, prey to multiplexes and television. Yeah. We've decided to inaugurate a cinema birthday. Your eight and a half birthday is going to be your cinema day and you're, we want to inaugurate this global initiative. We're stu- we've got the, the, the finance to start a Scottish initiative and we want it to be global so that you can go in and you can look on our website and you can see a menu of 30, minute, 30 second clips of world cinema that we think is great for eight and a half year olds and you can write to us and say it's my eight and a half birthday on july the first and we'll send you a box set of the red balloon and oh. Pally alone in the world and an iranian film called the boot and uh, white Main and etc
0: wow so. that's wonderful
1: so the children's initiative is very much part how of it how about another clip yeah
0: just choose it randomly it's
1: the clip called the desert
0: the desert
1: Again, it could be pretty much any scene from the middle <laughs> It could of the be film. any scene
0: because half of it's in the desert. <laughs> I love it. I was wondering, Tilda, if we're going to be able to see uh, Derek in the U.S. I mean, has there been? Have I? Been, have you
1: not seen it here yet? No,
0: have we? Has uh, it hasn't been released here, has it?
1: I but must admit, I'm behind you know. the loop on when it's being or if it's being released. Does anybody here? Does anyone know? Another? Do you know
0: Eugene? This is the... MoMA showed it for a week? Oh, God. Yeah. It's the documentary about Derek Jarman, directed by Isaac Julian, that you did narration yes. and, and wrote. Mm-hmm. You wrote and did narration. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were in on it from the beginning, mm-hmm. or was he starting to edit?
1: Well, no. The, 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 the original um, kind of pretext of the film was that I was asked in something like uh, 2003 to write and deliver a thing at the Edinburgh Film Festival called the Derek Jarman Memorial Lecture, which I did, um, which was quite widely published. And the thing that was quite striking to us all then was the response was quite overwhelmingly about Oh, yes, Derek Jarman. why has he sort of been forgotten? Why are there now two generations of film students and and, and, and young people who've never heard of him? Why are his D, the DVDs of his films so impossible to find, etc? So we, that sort of galvanized all derek 's collaborators and family to um, to think about how we might um, What's the American word? Memorialize, no. uh, the, but how we need you know to educate people about and reintroduce ab- and reintroduce, and we had the wonderful magical opportunity to literally reintroduce him to people because, with two years before he died, Derek died of AIDS in 1994, uh, but two years before was very very ill and very nearly died, and when he rallied. Um, He and Colin McCabe had the foresight to do a really long, extensive interview, which lasted for about nine hours, about everything he wanted to say about everything. And so this was the kernel of our film. That's the thing. That's why it's really worth seeing. It's not just a documentary about him. It is actually him speaking.
0: He he was... uh, When I became conscious of filmmaking uh, as something I could be part of I was, uh, my parents were living in Berlin and my father was the military commander of Berlin and lived in a giant mansion paid for by the German government and I would come visit and sneak away to the film festival and in 88 I went to see The Last of England and saw him speaking and I don't know I didn't know him that well I only saw him Live once at a panel at Sundance and once there and I met him and I don't I I mean it's maybe it sounds a bit cliche but I felt kind of a saint like thing you know I I felt a a a generosity and a kindness of of, which you don't you know you don't always want to meet the people that you're impressed by because you can be very easily disillusioned and and crushed and uh, I have to say that the same year I also met Samuel Beckett and I felt the same thing you know, the year before he died, and uh, I remember he was at a panel at Sundance '91 uh, or '92, which was like the first kind of queer panel there. And he was just so happy. He didn't. He hardly said a word, but he just, you know, let Todd Haynes and Christine Vachon and Tom Kalin all just talk. And he was just kind of laughing their whole thing. He was like, "Finally, you know, I can be a godfather." And uh, there's a direct line. Uh, from him to Todd and and Tom and, and Chris Munch and, and uh, all all kinds of people, uh, Gus Sant, who uh, you know, whose way of working inspired me to you know watching their way of working really inspired me. That was absolutely pure, and uh, there was really no question of it being pure. It was never self-consciously pure. It seemed to me it was just oh we're just we're doing our thing now. And uh, I, I wonder—I I I haven't seen the documentary. I'm I wondering how you met.
1: I met Derek in a, in a strangely orthodox way. He was um, putting together a film called Caravaggio in yeah, 90, uh, 1985, and um, we had friends in common who kept saying to each other that that we would like each other. And but but actually, I went along to see if he um, wanted me to be in his film. And. And we just met and never never stopped talking really um he he was uh, he was an extraordinary person in that he was um he was genuinely inspiring he was uh and again I urge you to to, to seek out the film because i mean to seek out his his films and his work his writing uh but but also to see him, because he, for those of us who knew him, we all know that however interesting his films were, however interesting his work as a, as a political cultural activist, however interesting his writing was, however interesting his paintings were, the most interesting thing about Derek was him. I mean, he was he they, that was just all just evidence, and he was he was really quite something, incredibly charismatic, and great fun to be around, and also, um, I mean, the way what he represented. F- I mean, what he represented for me, I mean, I literally couldn't even begin to tell you what he represented for me, except I could say that I really don't believe that I would be performing in films if I hadn't met him, because what he, what he provided me personally with was this sort of lab atmosphere in which I could play out or um, just work out how it could be that I, who, when I first met him, I had left university, I was a writer, who should have gone to art school, who went to university, stopped writing, wanted to find film, couldn't find film, worked in the theatre, was alienated by the theatre. I was completely, what they would call, beeped, and high and dry. And when I met Derek Jarman, he gave me this place to go to because um, I knew that I didn't want to be a proper actor. I knew I didn't want to work in the theatre or the television or industrial cinema. And he, he as an you see, the thing about Derek also is that he was, uh, for our generation, he was the representative of a time. He was it was like a contact with the 60s and the 70s for us, into the 80s and 90s. So he was, uh, you know, that, that way of living, that way of sharing, that way of, of, um, of making work together. Because as a fine artist, as a painter, he knew what it was to work alone. He made films in order to have company. It was about throwing a party and, 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 and being in conversation with people that 's
0: why he made cinema and he, effort, he slipped right into that, that punk rock ethos mm-hmm. out of something that was different. You know I, I, It was what I felt. It was much more generous than i mean you know in some ways you could say he was warholy you know he had mm-hmm. his own group of people and was creating his counter film culture, but with Warhol, you 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 didn't feel a, a lot of warmth often. You saw brilliance at times, but you didn't always feel the great compassion that he had for his characters. And I remember seeing Caravaggio in college, and it was pretty mm. amazing. For him. also being you know being coming out in all the, the same year that it came out, you know, as as being gay and thinking I don't really belong in this any kind of queer culture that, or gay culture that I'd seen and then I saw that. And
1: Well, I think the, the way in which he was so interested in and was so much fun was really radical, particularly at that time. And the fact that, especially when things got really grim yeah. and people started getting really ill and people started getting really angry and people started getting really sad, he was all of those things, but he was also always fun, even when he died. And it really was amazing when he came out in 1989. Well, he came out, as, I should say, he came out as, 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 as being it's HIV, a, HIV positive. positive.
0: I think it was even ADA possibly... Or maybe I saw him, but I, I remember being aware of that and being. Well, the last of England. He was the England, first person I knew that the, was. The last of
1: England thing. was the was that was the moment when he. That's when, when he it came happened, out. right? So, um, John Gilk, um, and he, John he just, and it was at a time. It's hard to really remember this, but it was at a time, and I. People were talking, certainly in the, United, in, the, in the United Kingdom, people were actually talking about making segregated HIV communities on islands. And um, people were not only terrified of losing their... Their lives and their friends, uh, but also their jobs and their insurance and all these ridiculous things that people were worrying about at the time. You know, they were actually thinking that people needed to be declassified <laughs> in some way. Um,
0: Did he even get barred in from the US? Mm? Was he barred from the US because of those? N- I laws? don't
1: think he ever was. I don't think. He, but there was always this possibility that anything might happen. To be honest, yeah. it really was a weird, weird time. And, and he and died right
0: before the drugs.
1: He died, like so many thousands of people, he died right before the drugs, Um, but not without making his life and his illness and his dialogue with his illness absolutely transparent and available and useful and critical and to everybody. And that generosity was really amazing. And he made films right up until he died. His last film was a film called Blue when he was losing his sight which was just a blue screen and a soundtrack we, we actually developed it as, as a series of concerts and uh, eventually it was made into a film and there, there is a film which is called his last film which in fact he was barely conscious for the edit of which is a film called Glitterbug which was just his Super 8 which is edited together
0: and that's just come out on DVD there's, a, there's an
1: exhibition of his Super 8s at the Dia building um, now
0: right now at the Dia Center for the Arts Yep. in Chelsea
1: I think it's on for a month or so, but I I actually don't know. I want to go and see it on Friday. My it. agent
0: just sent me the Glitterbug DVD, so it's out here. Mm. It's a pretty good agent, right? It's mm. cool. How, any a couple of questions? Anybody want to ask something of Tilda? Yes.
1: You know, well, I hate the, the question was whether I am um, developing um, my own filmmaking and in what way. I I. I kind of feel that I'm always um, involved in filmmaking, and always have been. Um, um, That was an inevitable result of having having my roots being as they are within the Jarmania collective. Um, And uh, recently, I've been working as a kind of industrial spy in Hollywood, um, but the truth is, um, hmm? it's over, it's over.
0: You're spoiled um, because of Derek. Sp- I
1: was super spoiled. spoiled. Yeah, no, I was super spoiled when he died in 1994. I was really, I was, I was up a gum tree, really. Um, at which point, um, I made work as a live artist, and I and I um, I made a piece of work called The Maybe, which I made in London and again in Rome, which I've just been invited to make at MoMA, maybe next year, yeah. Which is a live installation in which I uh, sleep in a glass case for uh, for a week
0: wow shades yeah. of lee bowery
1: shades of all sorts of people shades of all the people i saw in coffins <laughs> during 1994 frankly mm. which is when i developed it um, but yeah Wow.
0: Yeah.
1: so um but i've always been working alongside filmmakers and um I've never not done that uh, the fact that those films are just beginning to sort of bubble up now means that it's been taking so long I mean there's a film that I co-produced with my friend Luca Guad- Guadagnino which we just, we're just completing now which we've been working on for seven years and I'm developing a film with um, uh, with Lynn Ramsey cool. which I hope we're going to shoot at the end of this year and
0: Ramsey made Ratcatcher and Morven Caller, Scottish Scottish filmmaker, wonderful. Um,
1: but yeah, I'm always very sort of slow burn. You
0: don't want to do too many things at once, if you no, can. can kind of help you it. Well. I would love to. Well, uh, why did I suddenly become Scottish? <laughs> Actually, I'm directing a film in a month, but
1: uh,
0: <laughs> any more questions?
1: And you would had done a piece with her um, where she put you in a vitrine? No, uh, this is the piece that we referred to earlier. This is The okay. Maybe, which was my piece. Oh, right. And I invited her to work on an installation around that piece in London. And how did that piece come about? How, how did you meet Cornelia Parker? And um, I was developing that piece and I was developing it for a couple of years. And I was invited by The Serpentine to make it uh, in The Serpentine. And I asked her to help me to develop, because the Serpentine is a, is a four-room gallery, to work on the installation for the other three rooms. And I was delighted to meet her. I think she's a fantastic artist, and it was wonderful working with her.
0: Is, the, is uh, straight theater, I mean, you know, straight, but is theater something that you wanna It sounds like you had a bad experience at one time. Do you
1: know? It's not that I had a bad experience. I mean, in many ways, the reason that I'm not interested in working in the theatre is I had a great experience. The last experience I had in the theatre was, it kind of ruined me for theatre. I made a one-woman show, um, which I loved so much that I, um, I've just never found anything that I've wanted to do again that's excited me that much you don't know what I'm talking about, I know one does get stuck in a, in a groove no but that whole idea of a fourth wall, I don't it would be, I don't know I mean I play around with it in my head a lot because I, I do love, I mean the, the maybe in a way is a, is an experiment in my own mind about trying to find a gesture that is a hybrid of what I love most about live performance which is everybody like now you know everyone in the room together and all one's limbs are present and we're all together in time and anything could happen and a fire alarm could go off and we could shoot each other you know that whole feeling of shared experience and then um, what I love most about cinema performance which is the ability to scrutinise someone who's unwatched that closely molecularly and so I I developed this uh, gesture of a sleeping Figure, which I I originally didn't intend to be me, but eventually worked out that it it was about me and that it was a kind of endurance piece and that I needed to put myself in that box. Very important that I put myself in the box. It was not put in by somebody else. And there was a very interesting piece of misinformation in the art press. Basically, Cornelia and I were very frustrated by this because I was in the box I was not able to speak to the press, and Cornelia was the voice of the piece w- for the duration of the, of, of, of the piece, and so there was this misinformation that she had put me in the box, which was frustrating for both of us, because it was exactly what the piece was not. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, it was sort of me wondering if I, that was the closest I got to the theater, the inside of a box.
0: <laughs> Since the Academy Award win, what is the most outrageous role you've been offered? I'm
1: I'm really trying to think. Um, Was there
0: anything that was just quite surprising? I wish I
1: could remember. I feel there's something, but it's logged in the back of my jet lagged brain. What I can say is that Hannah people Montana. have, an, oh, I wish. <laughs> people have really, really interesting ideas. They just do, and I love every idea. And very often, the madder the idea, the more you think, I've got to do this, man. You had the nerve to think this up. I'm going to do it. But I actually can't give you an answer. I'm sorry, but there's something amusing my inner child, and I can't bring it up. I'll, I'll give me you your, your email address, and I'll email you when I remember.
0: How did the kids like the Chronicles of... of the, Narnia? Yeah. My
1: children... I was very proud at the time that the film came out because I kept saying to the Disney executives that there were two tickets that were unsold because my children did not want to see it. Um, mainly because they went to the now-famous multiplex outside in Venice and saw a trailer and said that it was too loud... Which it is. They're often very well, it's loud way lu- they, It's way too loud. All those films are too loud, especially if you, you're eight. Um, they eventually saw it <laughs> on DVD and were kind of amused because, as far as they were concerned, the wrong side won.
0: How have you raised these children? They're
1: pretty well, I would say.
0: Near the they're fields pagans. of Culloden.
1: No, they're pagans. They, you know, they,
0: they are. I've met them years ago, but...
1: Coming along nicely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, how are we doing on time? One. How? We two more questions. Minutes? Two more questions. Go ahead.
1: Thank you very very much. I'm very very happy and privileged to always be in very good company, and that's the, um, that's my
0: great privilege. Is what have you lost?
1: What have I lost?
0: Have you kept it all?
1: Quite a bit of money. <laughs>
0: a bit of cash? Because you started out with a lot. <laughs> That's what the Oscar's well for. Well spent. Yes. Hi. Um, I was wondering, in acting, what inspires you, whether it's the set, the actors? What do you take away from all of that in terms of inspiration? Inspiration for her life or for the role? Oh, that's a big question.
1: Um, In acting, though, you said. So can I limit it to that? (laughs) I just said, what inspires me? Um, The truth is that I'm... Recently, I was trying to describe to somebody how I... I was trying this endless disclaimer that I always feel that I honestly have to give about not being an actor, because it really does feel most honest. Um, I always feel that real actors are going to stand up and say, you're a fraud, confess it, and I want to be the first to say I never pretended to be anything else. I always pretended to be a film fan first, and an artist's model second, and I'm in front of the camera because I'm curious, and... That's about it. I don't know one thing about acting. I know as a film fan, I don't want to see it on the screen. I really don't. I want to see something real. I'm more interested in documentary always. My famous favorite film performance of all time is the donkey in Ohazar Balthazar. Um, I'm trying all the time to be that donkey. I'm getting there. Julia is a step in the right direction. Um, I don't know, I just really, um, really privileged to work in cinema because I'm so, so in love with it. I find the whole business of sitting in a cinema, um, uh, being on a set, discussing with my friends about how on earth we're gonna make some impossible project in 10 years time, all of it, talking to you guys, I really love it. I love that you could be doing anything tonight and you're here to, to talk about a film you haven't even seen. It's for real, you know, it's really kind of, it's got texture to it and I really love it. So I suppose that really, and the fact that it's always about a conversation, you know, it's always, a film is just a gesture, you know, it's just, There's a film that I'm privileged to be a part of, which I I do recommend you go and see, actually, which is Jim Jarmusch's new film, which I just saw last night for the first time. And that film is a perfect example. Jim Jarmusch has just gone, you know what, I want to make a film and I want to go out of my way to not know what I'm doing. Um, And Focus, bless them, have gone, okay, we'll give you some money to do that. Just go and try and keep yourself keen. And he's done that, and it's... I personally think it's a beautiful thing to even see someone trying to be that inarticulate. It's amazing. So that, just all of that, I find really inspiring.
0: Well, you can't be inarticulate. I, I want to thank you for, for talking tonight to everybody. Julia opens in New York. Does anyone here know? I think know? it's the 8th. The, the 8th. The, the 8th of May, at a couple blocks away at the Angelica. It's a fantastic performance. Um, And uh, is uh, is Sandra's computer ready yet? Because <laughs> no, no. But we there have another clip if you like. There to oh, So we repair? have another clip. Oh, should we f- end up Sandra's with the clip? Computer gets yes. Yeah. What do you want to? <laughs> you'd like the uh, Cross list? one was it? Oh, uh, this cross? is called
1: I'm in or Double Cross. I don't know. I don't. I don't you know what any it of randomly. this means. It's like something out of the limits of control. It's. like I'm going <laughs> to eat it in
0: a second. Thank you, Tilda. Thank you for coming, everybody. Buy an iPod. Thanks for coming to the Apple Store Soho, everybody. Always check out our website, apple.com slash retail Soho for our upcoming few final last days of the Tribeca Film Festival and our free workshops as well. Thanks for coming, everybody, and have a great night.